Well, good morning. Jesus, lead on. Is that your prayer to him this morning? I hope it is. I hope you want him to lead you, to lead you on. But don't you think sometimes that it's harder for us than maybe it was for the disciples to follow Jesus? After all, the disciples had Jesus standing there physically. Wouldn't it have been easier to follow him then? Wouldn't it have been easier to live the Christian life because you could actually see Jesus? You could hear his words audibly. You could touch him. You could smell him. Ever think about that? How do you think Jesus smelled? (laughs) They didn't have deodorant, you know, and they didn't bathe very often. You know, he was physical. He was just like us. And having a physical body meant he was in one place at one time. But there is something that I've felt. You know, I've been jealous at times of the disciples. Lord, I could follow you if I could see you, touch you, hear you. It would be a lot easier. I think we've all felt that way if we've really thought about it. And that's certainly the way the disciples felt as we look at John chapter 16 today. Because Jesus has told them he is leaving. And they're thinking, wait a minute. How in the world are we going to function without you physically here? How can we live without you to touch and listen to and see? They're afraid. And so in this passage, in John 16, as we continue our study in the book of John, and in particular the upper room discourse, as it's called, chapters 13 through 17, he's preparing them because this very night he'll be arrested. He'll be gone from their presence. And he's preparing them for living life with him gone. And he goes on to tell them in this passage why it is far better In fact, it's best for him to be gone rather than present with them. It's a good message for us to hear. But first, he prepares them a little bit on what to expect with him gone in the first four verses of chapter 16. So turn with me there, if you would, if you haven't already, John chapter 16, where Jesus says this to his disciples. All this, everything he's been saying up to this point, and this included, I have told you so that you will not go astray. You will not fall away from the faith. You will not give up. Jesus is preparing them so they won't give up. They won't fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. He says, I didn't have to tell you this because I was with you. And yeah, we faced some conflict. But a time's coming when I won't be here. And you'll need to know that you are going to experience rejection. You will experience persecution. The world and even the religious world, will not welcome those who are followers of Jesus. He says, don't be surprised. Expect 
difficulty. The world will not understand you. But, you know, we as Christians sometimes get confused, don't we? Or we struggle with that because somehow we feel like if you're really Lord, Jesus, and I'm following you, then you're going to make my life smooth, right? And people are going to welcome me and my faith with open arms. And somehow we expect that. We think that somehow that that life should go well. And yet Jesus is saying a very hard word to the disciples and to us that Christianity, true Christianity, those who trust Jesus will be rejected by others around them. We should not be surprised. We're living in a hostile environment, a hostile world, even a hostile religious world. That's what he says. It's the religious people that actually are going to be the most zealous to put Christians to death. That's sobering, isn't it? Now, he mentions the synagogue, which means obviously most specifically the Jews, but it expands to any kind of religious person. Now, it certainly happened in the New Testament. Think of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, how he persecuted the early church, arresting them, capturing them. Stephen, he helped put to death the first martyr of the New Testament, who was put to death by the Jews for his Christian faith. But if you go throughout church history, it's always been true that those who have lived for their faith have been persecuted by either the established church or by other religions. Think of somebody like William Tyndale, who was the first to translate the Bible into English. What a wonderful thing. You'd think that would be appreciated by the church of the day. (laughs) No. He was hunted as a criminal and finally captured, strangled to death, and burned. His body burned because he translated the New Testament into English. Think of somebody like the Anabaptists. They were hunted after the Reformation, during the Reformation period, and many of them were put to death and arrested. Why? Because they believed that you should be baptized as a believer, not as an infant. Well, gee, that's what we believe. (laughs) And you could go all through history. Glenn Eitmiller, who was one of our missionaries, Glenn and Karen, one of their colleagues they work very closely with in Indonesia has been arrested and is in prison now in that Islamic culture. He's been thrown into jail for his faith. And Glenn has been working now for several months trying to free him, get him out, before something more terrible happens to him. Uh, That's just a, a personal example, but all over the world, all through history, those who have sought to live for Jesus have been persecuted, and especially by the religious people of the world, Christians, Islamic, Muslims, etc. It's the norm for following Christ. In the paper this morning, it talked about the Idaho State Prayer Breakfast, which happened yesterday, and the speaker, Hormoz Shariat, talked about his uh, ministry of seeking to convert Muslims to Christianity. There's been a great outcry. That's not tolerant. He's just trying to live out his faith, but he's being persecuted because of what he does. I guess the question for you and for me is, Well, Jesus says to expect that. Expect that we won't be well received for our faith. And I guess the question for you and me is, is that our experience? 
do we live a life that stands out? Do we live a life of following Jesus in a way that we experience some hostility from our families, in our workplace, the world in which we live, our dorms, our schools? Do you experience that hostility? Uh, that, that's a good question. Now, we live in a, in a culture here that's founded on Judeo-Christian principles, so it's easier to, to blend in and be accepted as a Christian here. But certainly it's a challenge for me, and I have to search my own heart and say, you know, do I blend in too much? Do I blend in too much? Jesus says, I'm telling you this because you need to expect it. This is what life on earth is like Because we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We're living as strangers and aliens. We're foreigners here. We're not meant to be at home here. So there should be some discomfort and some unappreciation from those around us. So that's what Jesus says. He says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving, (laughs) disciples. I won't be here anymore. And by the way, you're going to be persecuted. Some of you will be put to death going to be tough notice how they respond verses five and six and he sees their response now i am going to him who sent me yet none of you ask me where are you going because i have said these things you are filled with grief you are filled with grief imagine how the disciples felt um by the way i'm leaving guys and Things are going to get bad for you. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I'm out of here. Well, the disciples, I'm sure, were going, now wait a minute, Jesus. Uh, We thought you loved us, and you're heading out, and, you know, what's wrong with this picture, Jesus? Um, You're leaving us alone. They were feeling overwhelmed, I think. You're abandoning us at our time of greatest need. This can't be good, Jesus. (laughs) partly because their whole world had become centered around Jesus. They'd been following him for the last three-plus years, given their lives over to him, known he's Messiah, committed to him as Messiah, and yet now he's saying he's leaving, and where's the kingdom, and what's going on, Jesus? I don't know what you're doing. Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with the Lord? You know, Lord, I commit my life to you and yet you seem to then take away the props that I depend on and, and life seems to get harder rather than easier. And I, I, I trusted you, I, I gave my life to you and, and life seems difficult. And Lord, what are you doing here? That's the experience of every believer, you see, because it's part of his plan. Because he has a bigger plan. Notice what he says, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, truly, truly, I say to you, it's for your good that I go away. It's for your benefit. It's to your advantage that I leave. It's better for me to be gone than to be with you, he says. (laughs) Right. But notice what he says, unless I go away, the counselor, the paraclete, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. (laughs) You see, that's what he says. That's why it's better for him to leave, because if he leaves and he's not 
limited to one place at one time in a physical body that only a few can gather around him. But he leaves, he will send the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, the counselor, who can indwell every believer and walk with us in every step of life from within. He said, that's better. (laughs) That's better than me being physically here because he can come indwell you and be the one who walks alongside you. Be the very indwelling presence of me, Jesus says. My life in you. Every day, every moment. That's far better. That's far better. You see, Jesus established this whole church age as the age of the Spirit. Jesus walked physically on earth to reveal the Father to us and to come and die for us. But this is the age of the Spirit. We have access to the Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Him, the Spirit indwells you and you have access to the very life of Jesus in you from there on. It's not the life of God out there. It's the life of God indwelling us. And that's far better. (laughs) Far better. If you take an electric lamp and you set it next to an outlet, you know, that's pretty neat. I mean, there's power there, right? It doesn't have access to any of it, but, you know, it's next to it. Well, that's kind of like being next to a physical Jesus on earth. You're next to the power, but it's not there. But you take that lamp and you plug it in, and the power flows, and it courses through the wires to the very filament, and it brightens up, and there's light, and there's power. See, that's what the Spirit does. It, it, it gives us power. It gives us His very life. It gives us access to the life that otherwise would be out there. But the work of the Spirit is much misunderstood today. And we live in a, you know, a Christian culture here at Cole that we're a teaching church where we emphasize that and, and we know of, you know, there's excesses when people talk about the Spirit, excessive emotion out there and excessive maybe emphasis on certain gifts. And we tend to be maybe a little bit afraid of the Spirit, a little bit shy of it. And we shouldn't be. Now, the Spirit does work in those ways at times, but that's not what Jesus talks about here. He says there are great things in the work of the Spirit in your life as believers, and let me tell you about them. And he gives us three reasons why it's better for us to have the Spirit in us, the paraclete living in us, than to have Jesus physically present here. He wants to encourage the disciples, and he wants to encourage us. And first what he says, he says it's far better because you have a far greater impact on the world with the Spirit in you than me being physically present. Let's, let's read that at verses 8 through 11. When he comes, the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. It says, if I go away, the Spirit will come, and he will come to you. Did you notice that? Verse 7, he says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the Spirit comes to us, to believers, disciples first, but certainly to us as well. And he comes and his ministry is to convict the world. 
to expose, that word means to expose, to, to reveal, to, to convict, to make someone understand something they didn't understand before. That's what the Spirit does. He convicts the world through us. Through us. Now, how does that happen? How does he convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? We need to think about this a little bit because, again, this can be un- misunderstood. Notice who it is who does the convicting. Is it us? It's not. It's the Spirit. It's not our job. My daughter goes to a large secular university, and uh, a few weeks ago there was a huge demonstration in the middle of campus where um, some religious group came in and they were carrying signs that said things like, turn or burn, repent or go to hell, you're going to hell, and they shouted at people about how they were going to hell, and... and, uh, and the people on campus were in an uproar and they said, you know, they were so turned off from the faith by this. Here's a group that felt like their conviction was they needed to convict the world of sin. That's not our job. But something very interesting happened. Her whole dorm, people were coming to her and talking to her. Do you believe that? You know, Because they knew she was a Christian. And she said, no, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. Jesus died for every one of us and, and it gave her opportunity to actually convict the world, of, let the Spirit convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And she just lived out her Christian life in that dorm and gave them a more accurate picture of who God is. Was it hard for her? Did she experience some persecution and rejection? Yes. But God used her to impact the world in a way that hadn't happened before for her. He is in us, so the way he convicts the world is by living out his life in us. You see, and as we walk through life and we experience life at work and with our families and we rub shoulders with non-Christians, the fragrance, as we depend on the Spirit, the, the fragrance of Christ comes forth. Paul puts it this way, we are a fragrance of life to those around us. To some, a fragrance from death to death because they don't want Jesus. But for some, a fragrance from life to life. When people are convicted, when the world around us is convicted, some will be turned away, but some will be drawn to the very life of Christ. That's primarily the way he works. Now, that, now, the Spirit can work directly and draw people, but primarily the way he works to impact others around us is through our lives as the fragrance of Christ is lived out as we rub shoulders in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. So how does this work? He says we, it, it happens, what they're convicted of is sin, righteousness, and judgment. What's he mean by that? Well, think for a moment. What does the world think about sin? Well, they think, you know, it's, well, it's doing bad things. They think it's all kind of relative, so, you know, maybe somebody's, uh, as long as you kind of do good things, God will accept you into heaven. Uh, There's just a lot of confusion about what sin is. But as unbelievers rub shoulders with Christians and they see that they have a totally different take on it, that, that we're all sinners, no one's better than anyone else, we all fall short of the glory of God, But the real issue of sin is, do you believe in Jesus or not? Because that's the only way to be forgiven. 
And as the world begins to see that, they become convicted that the real issue of life is not trying to be good. The real issue of life is do you trust Jesus or not? Do you believe in Jesus or not? That's what it's all about. How can the world come to know that? Simply by rubbing shoulders with Christians that live differently, that don't try to be good, but that depend on Jesus by faith to deal with their sin. That's God's plan. How do we convict the world? How does he convict the world of righteousness? Well, the world's also confused about righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, you even bring it up and people think you're just being self-righteous. <laughs> right? You're trying to put yourself above and, and there's confusion. What is, what is righteousness? Uh, again, it's just trying to be good or it's putting yourself above others or whatever. But as unbelievers rub shoulders with Christians who have discovered that righteousness is only a gift from Jesus, from the risen Christ, and they're trusting him for that, and he's beginning to live that out. Not that we have it together, we don't, but that we're changing. And as the world sees that, see the life of Christ being expressed in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, they become convicted about what righteousness really is, that it comes only by faith in the risen Christ. That's what he says here, right? In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. He's not here, but he's living out his life in us. He imparts his life to us through the power of the Spirit. How is the world convicted about judgment? Well, again, the world misunderstands judgment. They think, well, you know, it's way off in the future, or it's, let's ignore it, it doesn't really happen, you know, there is no judgment, everything's relative, let's tolerate everybody, etc., etc., And yet when the unbelievers rub shoulders with us as we spend time with them and live out the life of Christ by the power of the Spirit in their midst, they begin to see people who are free, who are not living under judgment. Their their lives are beginning to change and they see that the God of this world has been judged. They're not enslaved to the God of this world like they are. Again, not that Christians have it together, but we're beginning to change and be free from those areas that tend to control us. They can be free too. So they become convicted of that, that there's a different way to live. That the life of God is real and it's, and it's among them in the Christians they rub shoulders with. You see, it's better that Jesus is gone because we have a greater impact because the Spirit's living out the life of Jesus in every believer bit by bit he reveals the truth to them about it we become salt and light as jesus says right where we are but to do that we must be involved in the lives of unbelievers we can't live in a christian subculture and just hide out and just try to stay safe until jesus comes again if that's the way you live your christian life then then you're not being salt and light We ought to have some non-Christian friends, folks, so that they can see the life of Christ being expressed in us even as we struggle. That's the way it works. Let me give you an example because this is how I came to Christ. I was in high school and I was pretty lost. Uh, I was struggling and I was, you know, outwardly it looked like I was doing well from the worldly perspective. But inwardly, I was lonely and struggling. 
met a gal on our tennis team, and we talked a lot. We became good friends. She was a Christian. She became a friend to me. She shared her life with me. A lot of problems in her life. A real struggle in her home life and struggle to, with her parents and all. And yet, there was something about her life, and I can't even define it, that drew me. And I knew she had something I didn't. And I knew that I was so enslaved to people's opinions and trying to get people to like me and all of those things. And I saw somebody who was free from that. She could be open about her struggles. She, and I was so drawn by the beauty of her life that I had to ask her what it was about. And she shared about Jesus. And I committed my life to Christ because of the fragrance I smelled through her life. Her life has gone on to be a struggle. She's had difficulties. She's gone through a divorce. You know, her life isn't together. And yet the fragrance is there. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the greater impact. That's why it's better that Jesus is gone because we have a greater impact on the world around us. Secondly, Jesus says it's good that he's gone physically because the disciples and us can have a greater impact insight into truth. Notice what he says, verse 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus says, if I don't go, you won't get the Spirit. But if I leave, the Spirit of truth will come. Think about the disciples for a minute. Jesus was teaching them incredible truths. He taught them for three and a half years. He walked with them. They heard his teaching. But did they get it? Not at all. Constantly, Jesus is having to repeat things, and he taught so often Hey, it's better to lose your life than to save it. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. And right up into the upper room, they're going, Hey, I want to be first. (laughs) Let me be first. I want to sit by Jesus. They didn't get it. You see, in our fallenness, in our foolish thinking, in our brokenness as people, even our minds are broken, and we cannot understand truth, really, without the help of the Spirit. So Jesus says, you know, I have a lot to tell you guys, but you're not, you're not getting it now. <laughs> but I'm going to give you the Spirit, and he will bring to your mind the things I've taught you, talking to the disciples, and he will teach you all truth. He will teach you. And I love the way he puts it here. He says, he will not speak on it. Um, let me... He will guide you, verse 13. When the, he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That word guide is like being a tour guide. Think about that. Taking you step by step, giving you the exact truth you need at each step along the way. That's what the Spirit does. He doesn't just dump all truth on us. We couldn't handle it. But he gives us just what we need step by step. It's like looking at the ocean and then saying, yeah, I know the ocean. Yeah, I know. I see it. And someone comes along and says, no, you really want to see the ocean? 
Come on, put on this scuba deer, and I'll give you a tour of what's really in the ocean. <laughs> I'll take you deeper. That's what the Spirit does. Yeah, we know truth. Yeah, sure, we can articulate certain things, but do we know it? Only the Spirit can take us deeper and help us to see the depths of the truth that's there. Now, let me say that this is said directly to whom? The disciples. And I think this is first and foremost a confirmation of what we have written here in the New Testament. Okay? Because Jesus is saying, okay, you guys don't get it, but I am going to send the Spirit and He will lead you, disciples, into all truth. He will uh, give you what you need. And then a little later in chapter 17, He says, I don't pray just for these disciples. Jesus is praying. He, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. He says, I'm praying also for those who will come to know me through their word, through the word of the disciples. You see, Jesus is confirming the disciples, saying we can trust what they wrote down because Jesus confirmed it. We can trust the New Testament because Jesus confirmed it, said you disciples will have the truth. I promise that. But secondarily, we have that same spirit who can lead us into the truth. But we need to be careful here. I, I met a man once who said, yeah, I know that verse and, and I believe that what it's teaching is that the Spirit will lead us into all further truth. The Bible, that's old stuff. But the Spirit leads us into the new stuff. <laughs> that's not what this teaches. The truth is there. The Holy Spirit simply reveals what's already there, what's been given to us. He can open our eyes, yes, to what's going on in circumstances and in our lives in various ways, but primarily what he opens our eyes to is the truth that we see in God's Word. But we need to be in it, right? We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to let it penetrate and ask the Spirit to open our eyes. He is a truth revealer. And I take that very seriously. I put in hours of study in the Word, but I pray often as I'm studying and as I prepare to teach, Lord, open my eyes because I realize I cannot see truth without your help. I can't see it. Throughout history, people have studied the Word. Scholars have studied the Word and never got it. Why? Because only the Holy Spirit can really open our eyes to truth. When you see things like this movie coming out, you know, in the book, The Da Vinci Code, as Christians, sometimes they go, oh, this is terrible. They're teaching falsehood. We don't need to be afraid of that. Of course the world's confused. They, don't, they can't see truth. But the reality is we know the truth, and the Spirit will lead us into it, and we just need to keep living it and sharing it as we have opportunity. By the way, there was a great article in the paper today saying the historical truth about Mary Magdalene. And uh, in regards to the Da Vinci Code, well done. And it gave biblical truth about who Mary really was. So we just need to keep living out the truth. And you know what? Something like the Da Vinci Code can be a great way to say, if someone asks you, one of your coworkers or family, yeah, see what this says? That's what Mary's really like. And I would just say, you know what? Why don't you read the Gospels? <laughs> read Matthew. Read Luke. Mark, John, and see what it has to say about Mary. And they'll rub shoulders with Jesus, too. <laughs> That's great. 
So it's good that Jesus is gone because we also we have a greater insight. The Spirit's in us and He opens our eyes from within to the truth as we read it, as we live it. And then third and finally, it's good that Jesus is gone because it gives us a greater intimacy with Jesus than we could ever have if He were physically present. Let's see what Jesus says about that. Verse 14 and 15. He will bring glory to me, Jesus says, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You see, if Jesus were walking around here, we would only have very little contact with him. How would this many people spend much time with a physical Jesus? <laughs> you know, we could, we'd be far away, we'd be at a distance, whatever. But he says, when you have the Spirit, my life, the life of Jesus is planted in us and we have a constant relationship, at least access to a constant relationship with him every moment of every day. He can be present spiritually in each believer throughout the whole world. Isn't that amazing? And he says, he will give us, he will glorify Jesus by revealing, taking from what is Jesus, taking the life of Jesus, his resources, and giving them to us. Constantly we receive from him. We receive his life. We receive who he is. And he says, hey, and what I am is just what the Father is. We're receiving the very life of the Trinity. God himself, the life of God. It's a greater intimacy that can ever be possible and it can only happen because this is the age of the Spirit. Way back in Jeremiah when it was prophesied that there would be a new covenant come, a time when actually the Spirit would be poured out and He would dwell in us, he says this in Jeremiah 31:34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. It's God's plan. That we might know him individually. That we might have his life in us and be able to depend on that. Have that kind of intimacy with Jesus. To walk with him and trust him. So when we sing, Jesus lead on. We don't need a physical Jesus here. We have his life in us. So we're learning to depend on him and trust him and walk with him. Though we'd like to have Jesus here to touch, to see, to listen to, to see him face to face, and someday we will, right? That's our hope. That's our promise. And when we see him, we shall be like him. It's far better that he's not here, folks. As he teaches the disciples here and teaches us, it's far better because with him gone, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, he lives out the life of Jesus in us, gives us an impact so we can be a blessing to the world, even though it's hostile to us at times. We can have insight in, into truth because the Spirit reveals truth to us. And we can have an intimacy with God that is far more intimate than the disciples could have when Jesus was there to touch and walk with. <laughs> the Spirit, we need to be thankful for the gift of the Spirit. What a gift. So our part, not to convict the world, right? 
But Jesus has put us in the world, so our part is to depend on him, depend on the life of the Spirit, learn to live out the truth in our weakness, in our struggle, day by day, turning to him, clinging to him, abiding in the vine, as he said last chapter. And as we do that, he will live out his life through us and impact the world so that we might be a blessing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, that you know what's best for us. Sometimes we struggle with what you've given us and how you've chosen to give us life. We don't, we don't want to experience persecution and rejection in our homes, in our jobs, in our dorm rooms, in our schools. And yet, Lord, you have a plan to make us a blessing in a world that is confused and lost. Lord, help us to learn to depend on your Spirit and appreciate the Spirit in us that your life might be revealed and that we might be a blessing in this lost and confused world. We thank you for your greater plan. In Jesus' name, amen.